Welcome to Stop Telling and Start Listening with David Cook. If you're frustrated with the way we are speaking or not speaking to each other, if you find yourself easily at odds in your conversations with people, this may be just the show for you. Listen in as David and his guests will help you elevate your communication skills and navigate the tensions present in many conversations today. Now, here is David Cook. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. This is David Cook. Welcome to another episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. And uh, this is uh, another great day for a great conversation with a really good friend of mine. I'm lucky to have such good friends, people who are doing really cool things and um, have great stories on top of it and inspirations for why they're doing what they're doing. And so my friend today is Tessa Mill, and she is the founder and executive director of an organization called Face of a Survivor. I have known Tessa for, I don't know, we'll say 10 years, um, plus or minus a few. And so uh, we thought we'd talk today a little bit about trauma, mental health, advocacy, and education. And it's a But thankfully, fortunately, in some respects, it's a conversation that we can now have more often um, because a lot of people were unwilling to share, unwilling to learn and listen. We're becoming more aware of our own emotions and the emotions and the feelings of others. But we do have a long ways to go. And so it's a good thing we have people like Tessa who have a passion for educating, encouraging, supporting, loving, whatever needs to be done to move us into a more healthy direction in that regard. Tessa, thanks for joining me today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. So, you know, let's let's just start at the very beginning. Tell me, tell us, tell our audience, um, you know, what, what we need to know about you and how you ended up where you are today. Well, so I grew up with childhood abuse and it, it happened in our family. My sister and I have 11, I have a sister who's 11 years older than I am. And we both endured the abuse, but she endured more because she was older and she wanted to protect me. So there was a lot that was going on with with our family. And because I grew up with the abuse and because it was never redirected, I actually ended up in an abusive relationship in my early 20s that nearly killed me. I almost died several times by his hands, but I also attempted suicide when I was in that relationship as well. And when I got out of that situation and uh, later throughout the years, I started to um, go through therapy and and support groups. And I started to see all of these women that had gone through uh, trauma and abusive situations and they were overcoming it. And I, at the time, did not feel like I was thriving and I could see them and their successes and what they were sharing. And for me, it was like, why am I not there? I want to be there. So I made a vow to myself that I would look at myself in the mirror every single day and say, I'm a survivor, I'm a survivor, I'm a survivor. And so I would say that every single day and then got to the point where I was saying, I'm a survivor because. So there was more of a meaning behind it. And then eventually one day I just looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, huh, so this is what a survivor looks like. I am the face of a survivor. And that's how I created face of a survivor. Mm. And I created it because I wanted to be able to express what I had come from and how I overcame it and how I was helping others. So I was using my voice and I was, I was utilizing it as a, a platform 
to share with people, like you can come from trauma and be successful instead of feeling alone and feeling like nobody could hear you um, and not knowing what was out there. So that's really how it started. And it kind of just like snowballed from there. And now we have uh, over 70 agencies that we collaborate with. We go out into schools and we speak. We go out into communities and we speak. And we, um, we share resources that we collaborate with. We, um, we deliberately put ourselves out there to share the resources so that that way people that come from traumatic situations know where they can go and what resources are out there. Because a lot of people that come from abusive or traumatic situations don't know how to be resourceful. Mm-hmm. And when you're resourceful, you're successful. Well, when they come out of those isolated and abusive situations, they don't know where to start. So we put ourselves out there to be that that start for them. So that mm-hmm. way it's, okay, here's these resources. First, we ask certain questions to make sure that we are providing the proper resources for them and then do follow-ups. And then when we go into schools and do speaking engagements for communities, we speak on anti-bullying, suicide awareness and prevention, and the importance of using your voice. That's awesome. It's quite a journey. You know, it's a it's an interesting progression. It was like I mean, one of the things that kind of like popped in my head, and this is like very random uh, thing that popped in my head. But uh, I watched the Hall of Fame speech for Deion Sanders years ago, and of course his nickname is Prime Time, and they call him Coach Prime, and he's got a a, a persona, you know, bigger than life persona. But basically, when he was a freshman in college. And he was trying to, you know, make the be be a you know meaningful on the football team. He came up with this thing called prime time. He started calling himself prime time, and it became a mantra for him: prime time, prime time, prime time. And that's how he found his his confidence. That's how he found his place on the field. And I heard you say, you know, I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor. And you know, you you created something that says, you know, I'm 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 where I am is not where I want to be. You know, so there was a voice in your head that said, this is not normal. This is not right, if that's the right word, whatever terminology. But, you know, what am I going to do? Well, first of all, I have to be a survivor. Is that kind of what really happened for you? Yeah, I really had to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I, was, I had taken myself out of the abusive situation, I had also taken other toxic people out of my life as well. So it really is, you know, creating that healthy support system for yourself and knowing how to do that. And when I was going through therapy and understanding, like, you can't can't change people. They have to be willing to change. Mm-hmm. And the abusers and the toxic people that were in my life were not willing to change. So I knew I had to make a change. So it was, I'm the type of person where I'll give people chances until I can't anymore because I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. But when I was a victim, I had a mentality that wasn't the healthiest. And so I literally thought that what I was going through was I deserved it. And that was because that was embedded in me from a very, very young age. Oh, we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't share what we're going through. We keep it to ourselves. I couldn't express myself. I was very, very suppressed. I didn't know how to use my voice. I didn't know how to ask for help because we were told you don't need to ask for help. You're fine. If you're not dying, you're fine. So there was a lot of suppression. There was a lot of, oh, we don't, we don't air our family's dirty laundry. Um, it, it scares people away. You don't want to lose friends. You don't want to look bad kind of a thing. So it was this 
embedding this conditioning that started when we were children. And because it wasn't redirected, it literally became a lifestyle. It was something we were used to. It was our normal. So I had to go through that retraining my, my mindset and understanding that I deserve better than that. And then stepping out of the box to see what else is out there. That was a huge step too, an understanding. So it's, it's a mindset thing and, and also understanding your worth and when you and also knowing your rights, that's another big thing is understanding your rights. Because once you understand your rights, the empowerment, bam, you know. So once you have that support system, you know how to create it, you open up that space uh, by taking the toxicity out in order to bring the positive support system in. Mm. That's a big, big difference. So that way, because when you have the toxic in your life, you have the toxicity in your ear consistently. Mm-hmm. And what you need to do is take that away. But a lot of people don't know how to do that. And it's because there's a lot of emotional investment that they have with those individuals. Could be people that have been in your life since you were a child. And that's all you know. Mm -hmm. So it can be scary when you're you're trying to understand your worth and and what you deserve and and how to escape from the toxicity, the Mm -hmm. trauma. But you can absolutely do it. It's hard, but you can absolutely do it. I was going to say, it's not like something that happened. Um, I don't know. Maybe it did happen overnight, but it sounds to me like you, you, uh, there was a wrestle for you. You were wrestling with, huh, this isn't, this isn't what I, this isn't normal. This isn't what I want. This is not what I desired. But there was a thing that just kept you grounded in it for a while. Right. So when did you, you know, I mean, was there like a precipitous event or was it just like one day says, so, you know, nuts to this. I'm giving myself permission to go somewhere else. I mean, how did that? I was, so the other people that I took out of my life that were toxic were my parents. So I had escaped the abusive relationship. I actually ended up in another abusive relationship, but it was different. And I tried justifying it by saying, well, at least he's not hitting me. Mm -hmm. It was just a different form. And um, once I got all of that out, all of that out of my system. <laughs> yeah. I I was still going through therapy. I was um, engaged to my now husband and I still had my parents in my life. And there was a lot of fighting and going back and forth. And my mother was the abuser. My father let it happen. It was her toxicity and her manipulation and her gaslighting. And once I was going through therapy and understanding the different forms of abuse, the cycle of abuse and what it was that I actually went through as a child, and I would point things out. There was a lot of gaslighting. And this was something that I was learning from my therapist was they're going to gaslight you because they they want power and control over you. And, and that's what they thrive off of. And, and again, you can't change someone that doesn't want to change. Mm-hmm. And so it got to the point where my parents had gotten into this argument about furniture. <laughs> and my mother was threatening my father. And what she was going to do to him. And I told her, I said, you don't, you don't threaten people's lives that you love. And she put her finger in my face and she goes, no, 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 no. You're not going to tell me how to feel. Ooh. And it was that, it was that moment when I realized, okay, this is what I have been told. 
got me therapist. This is what to look out for. She's not going to change. She's not going to change. She she's set in her ways, and so it's all right. I need to make a change. And I took my parents out of my life. It was one of the hardest decisions I'd ever made, but it was the best decision I've ever made. Yeah, it was scary. It was very scary. I. I was codependent. I didn't realize this at the time, but I was very codependent on my parents. And every decision that I made, I was, I'd always think, okay, what is my mom going to say? What's my mom going to think? What is she going to do? Mm-hmm. So is she going to approve? <laughs> right. So once I started to make decisions on my own, I was like, wait, okay, I'm thinking about my mom again. <laughs> I need to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. So it was basically retraining my, my thought process. Yeah. That's awesome. I was thinking, you know, I, I heard my therapist, uh, my, my therapist conversations. Cause you know, I would, I would look to my parents, you know, my, my, my mom and my dad was a narcissist, not, you know, not like super bad. I'm not going to like speak you know, ill of my dad, but he was a narcissistic person. He could only love to serve a certain point, And then it became about him. And my right. mom was extremely passive aggressive. And so I had this really unhealthy relationship with my parents because I was looking for love from my parents. So when I wouldn't get it in the way I needed it or wanted it, usually I blew up. I had a, 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 a you know, a, like a temper tantrum. I would build monuments to my pain. And my therapist, you know, basically said, you know, you need to recognize that, you know, first of all, you got to recognize your parents aren't going to be who they that you want them to be. They're going to be the parents that they are and understand what that looks like and in how, and then forgive yourself for wanting more, but then move on and how you're going to respond to realizing you're not getting more. And it completely changed my whole relationship with my parents because I knew I wasn't going to get from my mom or dad what I really wanted or needed that kind of love. But at the same time, um, like you said, talked about the cues, the cues was I could see when the minute my mom flipped the switch to being it being about her or my dad, it being about him. I go, oh yeah, there's my mom and dad being my mom and dad. Um, I can't change that. However, I can change how I respond to it. And it was so powerful because I in you know and, and I'm gonna it's gonna be I'm gonna ask you this question in a minute, but it was so powerful because it changed the dynamic of my relationship with my parents. I ended up having a I ended up having a healthy relationship with my parents, in the sense that it was as healthy as it could be. But it was never going to be truly the kind of relationship that I like to have with my children that I think a, a loving father would be to his, his kids. I have a different different yardstick, a different barometer, stuff like that. So I'm kind of curious, was there a healing journey at some point in time with your mom and dad, or are you still estranged from them? I still, they're not in my life. Okay. Um, and that was a choice that I made because of the boundaries that I set that they mm-hmm. kept overstepping. Mm-hmm. So if people keep overstepping their boundaries, that is a sign of disrespect. They're not going to ever respect the boundaries and your feelings and that kind of a thing. And at the time <clears throat> I was engaged to my now husband and we talked about, you know, having children. And I was thinking to myself, there is no way I'm going to bring children into this world with them in their lives. Mm-hmm. Because there was no accountability. They, they did nothing wrong. And it was family is always supposed to be there for each other. And, and we're blood. And so we're family. So and we need to forgive each other. And the thing is, is, I did. I would forgive all the time. But the same thing would still happen. 
And so there was no fixing anything. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that if I didn't step away completely, then it was going to continue. And that is completely unhealthy. It's an incredibly toxic. And the way that my sister and I grew up, we thought this was normal. This is what we thought every family went through this. It's like, I don't want my children to grow up thinking that this is how they should be living. Mm-hmm. This, this is not a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. So that was my decision. And it's been really, really good. Really, really good. I want to go back to I want to go back to emphasize something for for my audience, um, our audience of this situation. But um, say what you said about boundaries again. You're you know make sure everybody hears this because this is so important. Let's spend a few minutes talking about boundaries. Boundaries. The boundaries are healthy. Um, a lot of people don't know how to set boundaries, especially when it comes to people that. Um, have been in their lives for a very, very long time. Again, it's that emotional um, investment. And like for me, going through therapy taught me how to set boundaries and why boundaries are a necessity. So for instance, I would set boundaries with um, my mother, specifically my mother, because of I'm a very sensitive person. I've always been sensitive. And when I say I'm sensitive, I don't mean I'm just sensitive about my needs. I'm sensitive towards others' needs as well. And when my husband came into my life, um, he started to actually endure my mother's episodes. And I didn't want him to feel that. I didn't want him to, to, to go through that. So that was another reason why I had um, started setting boundaries and eventually took them out of my life because I didn't want him to have to enjoy that. He didn't deserve that. Mm-hmm. And I knew that. And I felt that deep down inside. I didn't want him to go through that. And if he was putting, or if my parents were putting him through that, and we brought children into the world, and, and they've already done this to myself and my sister, then I know that they would do it to other people too. And th- th- that was one of my biggest fears is, I want children, but I don't want them to feel pain and feel like things are their fault when they're not. And so when I was, I I started to set boundaries to see if they would be overstepped. Mm -hmm. Because everything that I was hearing when I was going through therapy or, or when I was in the support groups and hearing, yeah, I dealt with this, I dealt with this, I knew it wasn't going to change. And there's a pattern. And once you learn that pattern and you start seeing it, and it's like, oh, so this is what they're talking about. Then things start to click. And it, but it's like a one-by-one kind of thing. It's not like it all happens at once. It's something that you slowly start to see because it's being pointed out to you without them actually knowing the individual that's doing it. It's like, oh, okay, light bulb. Okay, mm-hmm. another light bulb. So it's just... It was the, the epiphany of, okay, I need to, I need to understand that how I grew up was a complete lie. And if they're going to continue to act this way and behave this way and treat me and my sister and other family members this way, there's a cycle that needs to be broken. So it doesn't matter if you set boundaries with these individuals because they are going to continue to overstep because they feel entitled. 
So if you don't, if you don't set boundaries for yourself, it can be incredibly toxic and unhealthy. And then things will just continue and continue and continue and fester. And I, like I, like I said, I'm very sensitive. I was, I had ulcers as a child. Mm. I, I went to the doctor and they're like, you're too young to be going through it or to have this stuff. Why are you so stressed? And of course I wouldn't say why, because my mother would be in the room. So I said, oh, I think it's just because of school. <laughs> right. So there was that lack, again, being suppressed and, and having you're, a lack you were being, of being You were being a good child. <laughs> good child. Yeah. I was behaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. At, at your own expense. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's I love that fact that, you know, that's why I wanted to emphasize this thing with boundaries, because I think that that uh, we, we talk, you know, we're going to talk, you know, after the break, probably more about, you know, mental health in general. But I think a lot of people allow things to happen to them because they don't they don't realize that when it when when they don't like the situation, they have a right. They have a in some respects, they have the responsibility to change it if they know it's not working for them. The question is. How do I how do I change, correct, or improve it? Right. And I think a lot of people go, well, can I really do that? It's like, yeah, if it's if it's unhealthy for you, why wouldn't you? But right. and, and a lot of people wrestle with that. They think that there's something that they have to tolerate, that they have to accept, that they have to deal with. Um, so when you have the healthy boundaries discussion with somebody, it's um my experience with parents with children with substance abuse issues. I'm introducing the strangest concept in the world. Really? How does that work? It's like you just decide how you, how the life that you did want to live and how pe- you're going to engage people in that environment. Then what? Well, then you see who loves, respects, and cares for you and who doesn't give a shit. Right. <laughs> and then you decide from there how you're going to respond to that. Right. You know. You yeah. know. Is that? I mean, that's 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 that that's you know Dave's version. I don't know, you know, what Tessa's version of it is, but oh, I mean, there's so many different scenarios that I've worked with and, and individuals that have come from different circumstances. It, depending on you know what their interests truly are, and then finding that because sometimes they only do the things that they've been told that they need to do. Like for instance, my mother, (laughs) it always goes back to her. Um, She wanted me to be a famous celebrity Mm. and be rich and famous for her. I didn't want that. I enjoyed dancing. I enjoyed theater, but she wanted me to do, she wanted, she she wanted me to be a little extra just so that way I could have that, that money, that fame, and take care of her. And that's exactly what she said to me. She's mm. like, you're going to become rich and famous and you're going to take care of me. And so that was what I did. And then um, when I saw the dirt of the industry, I wanted nothing to do with it. And because I, I have a cousin that is a celebrity and I never talk about him just because celebrities have fans and they can be dangerous. Mm. And so, and I have two little girls. And so I think about their safety. Like, that's how bad fans can get. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty scary. And I will share what I've gone through with him and what he put me through. But I just won't ever say his name. Mm. 
And, and the thing is, is like it's my mother knew the dangers of the industry and what was going on, but she still threw me the wolves. It, it wasn't because she had an end game in mind. Yeah, she did. It was yeah. all about her. Yeah, all, all about her. her. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. So you I were got fam- out of that. So you were almost famous once, huh? <laughs> it's no, there's no glamour in it whatsoever. But I, I watched an interview with I watched watched an interview with Harrison Ford a while ago, and he says, "I love my fans. I love the people who love my work." But he says one of the things that came from me being successful is I lost my anonymity. You know, I, I love people who love my work. I love people who celebrate me, but I can't just be me out in in the open because I just can't. Everybody recognized me. Everybody, you know. So it was a there was a downside to that, you know. And like you said, and it, and it depends, you know, especially in this day and age when there's a lot of crazy, weird people and a lot of control freak people that, yeah, yeah there's probably is a, there is an evil side to the whole thing too, right? A dark side. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But, the, but the money would be nice. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Everything comes at a cost, right? Exactly. So. Huge cost. Yeah. You know, um. You know, when I staying on the boundaries really quick, we're going to take a break in about three minutes. But, um, you know, the boundary thing is, is that when I when I'm working with people, I have like kind of tell them, I said, what I will do, what I won't do, what I desire and what I won't tolerate is how I help them define their boundaries and what I will do and what I won't do really is a value thing. It's like these are kind of my rules for how I'm going to engage. These are my value systems. This is how you're going to experience me. But this is also what I want to experience from you and our engagement. What I desire is you know, the nature of my relationship with you or the nature of how we're going to work together. And then the, what I won't tolerate are the things that basically said, look, you do this, I'm going to flag it. I'm going to, you know, it's an immediate response. It's inappropriate, unacceptable. And I'm going to let you know right away. And people go, can I do that? I'm like, yeah, but, you know, back to that whole thing is, but what it does is it challenges people to go inside their soul and say, this is, this is what I, this is how I'm going to live my life. And, I just want to share this with you. This is how I'm going to treat you. This is how I'm going to love you. This is how I'm going to communicate you. This is how I'm going to work with you. But this is what I expect of you at the same time. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to misrepresent things. I'm not going to enable whatever it is. And I mean, was that kind of what you, how you did it a little bit and maybe a different process, but is that pretty much how you structured your boundaries? Yeah. I, especially with my mother, it was, okay, look, this is how you're making me feel. This is what I'm seeing. And this is what's really been going on. And there was always this pushback. There was never a listening to about the emotions. There was never um, an understanding. It was, you're talking to me like I'm this psychotic individual and I'm not crazy, Tessa. And it was, okay, I, I never said that you were crazy. I'm just, I'm saying I'm expressing myself and letting you know how you're making me feel. And it was just, it was always, I'm not this mean person. Why are you treating me like this? Whoa, you're not even listening. Mm -hmm. So it was to that point where there's just no, there's no understanding. There's no listening. Mm -hmm. So your the title of your, your station is on point. (laughs) (laughs) Stop telling and start listening. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Okay, we're going to take what we're going to come back to this because I know it it triggered a story for me. We're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit. You know, we're going to finish our discussion about uh, Tessa's journey, but then we're going to talk about um, experiences in what in the work that she's doing and some of the um, tips and tricks and and things that we want to learn from the work that we're doing today to, uh, especially related to bullying and suicide prevention and those kind of things. So stay tuned and we'll be back. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. We are living in a time where a relentless commitment to opinions and beliefs are dividing communities and fracturing crucial relationships. Making ourselves right and those who disagree with us wrong leaves little room for engaging in a constructive learning dialogue there is little opportunity to change minds, find common ground, or solve complex problems. Those who are not being heard or understood become angry, hurt, lost, isolated, alone, and more. While mental health-related issues are on the rise, too few know how to safely share their struggles, and far too many don't know how to care about those that do. While it is increasingly frustrating to experience an increase in this communication divide, there is hope, and according to David Cook, there is an answer. The answer lies in how we adjust our communication style and shift our listening behaviors. In his radio show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook introduces his audiences to the power found in creating a safe place for sharing life perspectives and experiences without judgment, criticism, correction, or shame. There are tremendous opportunities in learning to see the world from the eyes of another. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific. Discover how shifting your listening behaviors will close the divide that exists between you and others in your community. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You're listening to Stop Telling and Start Listening. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email Dave at dave at thecookgroupllc.com. Now, back to the show with David. And we're back. This is David Cook with Stop Telling and Start Listening with my guest and good friend, Tessa Milne. And we were talking about healthy boundaries before we took a break. And the work that we've done in both, it was a comparative story, you know, a little bit of my journey with my parents and a little journey with her parents and how we've grown and evolved and stuff like that. And fortunately, I'm not going to say, you know, raise my hands, wow, I'm in the healthiest place I've ever been in my life, but the introspective journey is that I've learned a lot about relationships and working with moms and dads and substance abuse. I feel like my journey with my son has taught me a lot and in listening to Tessa talk about her story and the journey she's had with her, her mom. I think one of the other things that um, popped in my head was um, recognizing that sometimes you want, you want other people to recognize, you know, where things aren't working. 
You say, look, this isn't working for me. These are the things that I'm struggling with. This is what I'd like to see us. You know, that's back to that, you know, what I desire. And your mom just flagged up and says, no, that's me. And you go, okay, my mom isn't going to get it. She's not going to change. She's not hearing me. I've given her a roadmap for my boundaries. And finally, it's like, okay, good. If we can't change together, it doesn't mean that I'm something isn't changing. I'm just going to have to do this on my own. And that's what you basically said is I'm breaking away. I'm now on my journey as an individual finding my way because I know my mom isn't going to be able to walk this journey with me. Exactly. Yeah. And there's there's a moment of pain. You had, there was a moment of doubt yes. and, and guilt. Yes. Oh, but, yes. But you knew, you knew in your heart that this this what the situation for what it was cannot continue right and you made a commitment to yourself to move to move regardless right yeah and i did go through a depression at first i'm i'm gonna completely straightforward it wasn't easy it was very difficult for me um and it was because of you know the conditioning of having that mindset of always leaning on my parents and making choices based on them, not based on my personal needs or my my want or my growth. It had to do with what my mother wanted for me. Mm-hmm. She wanted actually for her, what she wanted me to do for her. <laughs> right. So. Well, you know, as again, you triggered, you triggered my therapist teaching me, you know, it was like, it was a four-step process. Um, the first, the first was, is that you recognize the situation for what it is. Second step was, is you grieve and, you know, or I'm sorry, you forgive yourself for wanting something that you can't have. You grieve the loss and then you move on. Right. And the grief for me, like, you know, like you said, I don't know that I was in depression, but I was definitely, it was like this deep sense of, oh, you know, disappointment, sadness, whatever, you know, you said it was, it was depression. It was, you know, and it's different. Everybody has different responses to situation, but it was like, yep, this isn't right. You know, this is, you know, I'm, I'm sad. I, I have to forgive myself for looking for something. I recognize the loss. And then, okay, now that I'm done grieving, I'm done with this. However, and I don't say like, you don't say, you know, but you recognize you're in that place of depression. It's not kind of like Buddha. You feel it, you move through it, and eventually you clear out and you say, okay, move on. I'm moving on. Yeah. yeah. That's so. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to transition this to let's, let's talk about society today really quick for the second half of the show. Let's do it. Um, I'm going to tee it up with a little for, with a Dave theory, and I'm going to let you run away with it, take it anywhere you want. You can even, you know, correct me if I missed it. But um, I think one of the things that uh, COVID has taught us that, well, I I shouldn't say one of the things COVID has taught some people was um, there are things that are, in our control and there's things that are not in our control. And I think a lot of people recognize that when they had an opportunity, you know, they didn't, not everybody enjoyed it, but when we were forced to work from home, we were forced to shift and change the way we lived our lives. We found that we could work at home. We found that there was a life beyond our job. We found that. And a lot of people go, wait a minute, time out. This, the life I was leading, leading sucks. This is so much better. And then, you know, the, the doors opened up and the lights went back on. We were allowed to run in the streets naked again. And, and everybody goes, ah, oh, this is the life I want. And now, you know, there's a structure going time out. 
this is not where we want you to be. And now there's this battle, you know, the corporate battle and the societal battle of bringing you back in under control. And people go, wait, time out. I'm not playing by those rules anymore. But there's a whole about other bunch of people going, yeah, I want things to go back to the way they were. It's like, but I don't want to go back to the way it was toxic for me. You right. know? And, and so I look at, you know, I, and for me, that's the big picture thing. But when I look at, you know, the way we were talking a little bit earlier about your journey and, and your experiences, um, not everybody feels the power or the ability to get out of unhealthy situations, be it work, be it relationships, being living whatever it is. They just kind of like say, yep, this is my lot in life. This is what I deserve. This is where I belong, even though it sucks and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what, what, how do you feel about, you know, my general assessment? <laughs> There's always a way out. It's just knowing that it's out there. There's a lot of people that, like I said, they don't know resources. They don't know what's out there because maybe they've been really isolated. And that's one of the, the tools that an abuser will use is isolation. Mm. And it's because they don't want their victim to have any kind of outside influence. They don't want them to build that strength. And so being able to know what resources are out there, understanding the rights, and knowing that it's okay to ask for help, it's not a weakness, and that there are actual people that want to see you thrive. They want to see you overcome. They want you to be successful and they want to help you get there. Because a lot of abusers, they embed in you that, oh, you'll never be successful or that's a stupid idea. Why would you do that? So it, it, there's always something or no one's going to believe you. So when you have that in your ear consistently, then you're going to have, you're going to think that way. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I say it's so important to create room to, to detox from the toxic individuals and situations. So that way you can make room for those positive, encouraging people, support system in life. So it's it's building that. And once you have that, I do believe that you can, you, you can continue to thrive and become successful and want more for yourself versus, well, maybe I'm just not cut out for anything. Mm-hmm. Maybe there is no purpose for me other Mm -hmm. than to be someone's punching bag. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that way, unfortunately. And and the thing is, is you can actually step out of that mindset. You just have to know how to. So there's no like format that's given to someone when they come out of a toxic situation. Like, okay, here's the rules. Here's some steps that you can take for yourself. That's why Face of a Survivor goes out into the communities and deliberately shares those resources because they don't know where to start and you're interrupting their thinking too right yes it's it's planting the seed and watering it so mm-hmm. it, it takes time it's not something that's just going to happen overnight you're going to be like here's a resource you're going to be great it's okay so these are the steps there's there's things that you have to do progress is a process and you have to understand that and, and believe in that process the thing is if you don't have that positive support system then that's what can basically take you back to, to the unhealthy way of thinking mm-hmm. because that's, that's the normal for that individual. That's why, so that's, that's why, huge. that's why leaning into resources are so important. Absolutely. 
as you listen to you talk about your journey and, and your process, you mentioned your therapist a lot. So this wasn't Tessa doing her thing on her own. This is Tessa doing her thing with a resource, with somebody who walked her through her journey, gave yeah. her confidence, gave her knowledge, yes, gave her some steps. Yes. Once I got those, it, those are some good nuggets, I tell you. Those mm-hmm. are some good nuggets to have. Because once I, I got those nuggets, I started to see things where before I was so blind. Mm-hmm. I was incredibly blind. It was a huge wake-up call. Like, oh, I see that. Okay. So it's like, okay, something clicked. And then it was one thing after another. Like, okay, something has to be done. Mm-hmm. Or else this is going to continue. And I cannot continue to live this way. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I took my parents out of my life. My sister still had them in their life at the time. Still does to this day? She did. Okay. Anymore. Okay. So she but she eventually came to the same conclusion you did? Not her not of her choice. Okay. She still wanted them in her life, but because I wasn't communicating with them, they blamed her. Oh, so they cut her off? Yep. Oh, well, and, it's a, and it's she a was gift, devastated. I guess. Really? Well, she was devastated. And I was like, look, this is a blessing in disguise. Take it. Yeah. Take it. Because this is something like, yes, it's it hurts. But in the long run, guess what? We're not going to have that negativity in our ears anymore. We're going to be able to do what we want to do. And we can support each other on that. And instead of having mom and dad in our ear saying these things, or, or like mom saying something and dad not doing anything about it. There's no support on that portion. But we have that support for each other. And we know where we came from. And being able to um, being able to, to thrive and going after our passions and doing what we want to do for ourselves. Instead of worrying about what they're going to think, what they're going to do, how they're going to react. But it is such a blessing that... My parents did that to her mm-hmm. or did that for her, I should say. Yeah. You, well, you see that you see the gift in it. She probably doesn't quite as much, but she does now. She does yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. You know, thinking of that, um, you know, we, we kind of look at what's going on. You're out there talking to people and, and stuff like that in, in the conversation about mental health and mental health awareness, um, um, at least we're having more conversations and stuff like that. But simultaneously, it seems like, um, um, I don't know how to sound like chicken little, but it seems like in some respects, things are getting worse at the same time. There's a lot of people in pain. Oh, yes. Uh, you, you know, and I don't know. I don't. I, I certainly don't want to get into a, you know, a, a political discussion, societal discussion, but it's kind of like, how do we... It, you know, how do we, I know what you're doing, but how do we just, you know, lift the boats, raise the tide, whatever it is, how do we get through this? Because um, it's, it's apparent everybody's, there's a lot of people struggling. They just, they just, you know, you, I hear you say, you know, be aware, set some rules. But there's a lot of people, the story that they're telling themselves is this is the best it's going to get. I deserve this. It's going to be what it's going to be. I'm powerless. And it, I feel like that voice and the, and the anger and the frustration, and the disappointment that comes with that in those, with the, 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 those people, I feel like the congregation is growing. 
And I'm thinking like, how do we, how do we dampen that? How do we give people hope? What's the, what are the things that we can say or do? Well, first we have to speak up. That's one of the things that I do is, I mean, I will own the title of being a whistleblower. I wouldn't have to blow a whistle if there was something going on. But the fact of the matter is, is there's a lot of stuff that's being swept under the rug and that's not okay. We need to step up and we need to use our voices and understand our rights. A lot of people are afraid of using their voices because, mm -hmm. well, particularly with who I'm working with, teachers and parents, um, there's a lot of teachers that are afraid of using their voices because they're afraid that they're going to lose their job. So they're afraid that they're going to be blacklisted. They're afraid that their contracts aren't going to be renewed. Parents are afraid of using their voice because they feel like the school might retaliate against their child. So it's on several different levels that people are afraid of losing their, or using their voices. And then parents are ending up burying their children due to suicide. And I mean, just in the city that one of the cities that I work in, 16 suicides within six months. That of is course, so incredibly tragic. Of course, of course, they don't talk about that. That's but, another thing, is why isn't this being talked about? Like, why are people sweeping that under the rug, too? These are deaths. Parents are burying their babies. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a parent. I have two. I have a two-year-old and a ten-year-old. I can't imagine something. I, I If something were to happen to my children, I would blow the whistle and continue to blow that whistle and never stop. So I do a lot of follow-ups too. I communicate with the teachers and and um, parents, school districts, and saying that this is an issue. There are teachers that are trying to help their students, and they don't have trauma-informed training. So, but they will try to de-escalate in the classrooms as much as they possibly can until they can't anymore, and then they will um, try to get the counselors involved. But then the counselors will send them back to the students, back to the classroom, still escalated. Mm -hmm. And then there's no curriculum that's being finished. And that's the one thing is the district is pushing curriculum, 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 get it done. If you're not going to get it done, then you're not doing the job. Get to the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. So if the, the root of the problem isn't being touched, then nothing is, is going to be finished. Things aren't going to be resolved, and this is going to continue to happen. Like, wake up, come mm -hmm. on! So, when I I went to um, I went to one of the uh, school board members, and I said, teachers are literally walking out of their classroom in the middle of the school year because there is no support, no change, nothing's happening, and they're they're they feel like they can't help their students. And she says to me, "Oh, that's not happening." I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you're, you're on the school board. You should know this. Either yeah. she really doesn't know or she does know and she's sweeping it under the rug. Right. Well, so, she's, she's doing your mom thing because if she acknowledges it, then you have to change it. Right. You know, that's what I learned about you know people with addictions. It's like if they acknowledge they're, that they have an addiction, that declaration means, okay, as, so now what? And they can't go, well, I'm going to continue doing it because they've acknowledged that it's a problem. Problem recognizes acknowledge means I have now have, have a responsibility for doing something about it. Right. Right. Exactly. It, it's a lot easier to maintain status quo, even if it's unhealthy, 
than it is create change because that's so unsettling. I can't stand that. I see that's that's <laughs> I love I, I love the way I, I wish the you know the the audio audience could see Tessa shaking her head because she almost like almost made herself silly shaking her head <laughs> in, in disgust and frustration. But Ugh, yeah, it is. It's something that I don't tolerate. And I mean, even with that kind of stuff, I've been gaslighted just because they want to either do the bare minimum or um again it's it has to do with their reputation and that's their focus instead of actually problem solving right it's like well if there's something that you're not able to do face of a survivor's here hello yeah. utilize us yeah the problem is when and the, the good news is is that even if one person in your audience or one person in the workshops or whatever you're doing hears you and grabs it you've changed a life and the potential to change other lives through them um the 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 more powerful desire would be that everybody goes holy crap we need to do something we and a community or a school district goes crazy and really does what they need to do but that would be um almost draconian they go i can't there's no way i can blow this thing up and start over that was, right yeah <laughs> perish the thought um you know it's it's funny because you know when he, i used to talk to parents we would talk about trauma um with addiction and over you know, time, you know, I started just to come to the realization and also to just more research and more stuff like that is, is that like 80% of substance abuse issues are related to trauma. Oh, yes. And so I, I shared that statistic with, you know, with, you know, these parent conversations. And of course, I always had a bunch of parents like your school board person go, my child never had any trauma. We're, my husband and I are still married. I raised my kids in a good family, blah, blah. I said, like, you know what, time out. Trauma is is personal. And even something that was normal for you could be traumatic for your child. Yeah. You know, so to tell your child's story that they've never experienced trauma is naive, almost mm-hmm. arrogant, because you're really not recognizing their journey. And then you're not understanding their journey and their story. You're telling it for them. And they go, well, yeah, but you don't understand. I said, no, I think the problem is you don't understand because I'm trying to tell you that you need to pay close attention to give a space for your child to share their journey, to share their story. Like you said, criticize your mom. You're not hearing me. You got to create a space for they for them to share with you and you hear it and you absorb it and you understand what they're seeing, thinking, experiencing, and feeling and navigate that with them rather than telling yeah. them, rather than telling them, no, that's, that's nothing. You know, it's, it's no big deal. Figure it out. You're okay. Don't make a big deal out of it. And then what happens is that the, that child then carries that pain somewhere and, and it could be something that's very toxic for them. And that's when I go to my theory is that, bullying and substance abuse and sexual proclivity, um, anorexia, et cetera, et cetera, um, suicide are all extensions of kids in pain, not knowing how to deal with it. Right. And at that age, that means there's the hormones going on and every all of those changes and and worrying about fitting in and peer pressure and, and building relationships and a lot of them don't necessarily know how to build healthy relationships. And that's another thing that we express and explain um, when we go into schools is, you know, relationship doesn't mean you have to be boyfriend, girlfriend. It's It can be friendships. It can be the relationships with work, uh, family members, that kind of a thing. So 
it's it's really important to share you know what red flags to look for um what a real friend is what what it means to to have a positive friendship and, and building those healthy support systems and all of that stuff so being able to teach them at a young age is what will help them progress as they get older when it comes to relationships and making healthy decisions mm-hmm. you you know back to my frustration and i will use the word frustration with parents when i've talked about substance abuse um do you do you sometimes feel like you're getting or to what extent do you feel pushback from parents when you talk about navigating because i think parents also struggle with the same issue i think i think the one thing that i am i'm seeing more pushback on is them just being afraid of using their voices mm. it's it's not necessarily them you know wanting to learn more for their child but it's but if I say something, I'm afraid that the school's going to retaliate against my child. And, you know, parents are protective and they want to make sure that their children are receiving what they need. But they're also worried because they're sending their child somewhere and they are not there with their children. Mm-hmm. And they're worried about what words are going to be said, how their child's going to be treated, um, if their child is going to be isolated, that kind of a thing. And um and sometimes, I don't want to say it can't be proven, but it could end up being a situation like he said, she said kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I think parents, they want to have the conversation, but they're afraid to have the conversation because it's such a hard topic. It is a, it's a very hard topic when it comes to, you know, just using the voice and making sure that their children are safe nowadays what's going on in the schools oh my goodness it's i have my 10 year old is um she gets virtual school because well it started with the pandemic and then we just continued with that it's what she wanted but also because um at the time i was pregnant and with covid going on and and still we want to make sure that we're safe and then all the stuff started happening in the schools with the shootings and the bomb threats and all of that, and fights and um, bullying. And we decided it would be safer. We we do the you know um, outings with friends and, and playdates and stuff, so that way she can socialize and do art stuff. But um, yeah, it's with knowing what I know right now, what's going on in the schools and that and how. Um, leadership is behaving we feel safer and she actually does not want to go into in-person school yet Mm -hmm. so it's a safety factor Mm -hmm. and i would rather my child be home knowing that she's safe and learning versus i'm sending my child to school not knowing if um there's going to be enough staffing or what's going to be going on if there's spikes already breaking out and and the bullying that's happening and things being swept under the rug. There's so much stuff, but I'm trying to help encourage parents and letting them know, like, using your voice is your birthright. Also with teachers, using your voice is your birthright. And there is, there's a, there's laws against retaliation as well. So, and a lot of them, I don't know if they understand that there is a law for that. So that's why when you understand your rights, Mm -hmm. That's a huge factor, a huge, huge factor. 
Because if you're going to avoid certain conversations, really what you're doing is you're trading a, a short-term uh, discomfort for a long-term dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So what we're wanting to do is eliminate the dysfunction. And even if you feel that discomfort and some, there's a conversation that seems tough to talk about, then it's a conversation worth having. Mm -hmm. So having that empowerment to be able to use your voice and understanding your rights on that and using your voice, it should never be taken away. So mm -hmm. just uh, that's a huge factor that I'm coming across. Right. That's, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the things, again, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer, you know, the, you know, people talk about, you know, the, the intellectual, the intellectual mind, and then the emotional mind. And I said, you know, really, your heart is, is the, is where noble thought comes from. And your head is where corrupt thought or fear emanates. And your noble, your heart says, I need to, you know, so you feel a pull, a thought to say something or do something or be something, even if it's like a saying hello to somebody, a perfect stranger, you know, you see somebody, you want to say hi to them and say, no, I can't do that. And their heart says, yeah, you can't, no, I can't. And, and so what you're saying is, is that when I feel this, this thing in here, that something needs to be said, then say it. Or I need to take action. Then take just take the step towards taking action. Don't really think it out. Because when you think it out, you'll change the message and change the direction out of fear of judgment, criticism, retaliation, whatever it is. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that because that's where it, if it comes from a place of love, which is where your heart, you know, that thought is it's it knows you. It knows your situation, knows your emotions. It knows, you know, all that stuff. And it says, Dave, you have to. Uh, and then you send it upstairs and the brain goes, what the hell are you thinking? You know, and right. then it, then you kill it. So, and that's what you're basically saying is if you feel that pull and you know it, move into it. Right. There's a reason for that feeling. Right. And trust it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is the hardest thing, because like you said, what do I fear? Well, I fear something poopy is going to happen. Well, you know, it may not go the way you want it. But at the same time, what you did was you stepped into that space out of your commitment and, and of, of love and truth. You know, so anyway, that's that's my belief. But it's it's easy to say because, you know, I don't have a job to lose or, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. It gets a lot more difficult when when certain things will happen. You know, and you say, gosh, I, I can't afford to lose my job. That's true. You can't. But at the same time, is this working back to what you said before? Is this working for me? No, it's not. Then what are we going to do about it? Right. How can we change the situation, even if it's a if it's a slight incremental change? How can we move it in the direction that it needs to be moved into? Right. There's been this creation of you know a fear culture, and so when that's embedded, they have this this mindset of one thing, and that's losing, and. Let me tell you, I've lost a lot of stuff, but the thing is, is, like, in the end, the truth comes out, and the thing is, is from, in that time frame, there's a lot of damage that's been done. Mm -hmm. So, it's like you have to recuperate, and the thing is, like, our, we're trying to prevent more suicides from happening. We're trying to prevent more pain being inflicted more losses and I'm 
perfectly fine with people trying to throw me under the bus. I've been thrown under the bus so many times. But the truth has always come out in the end, and we persevered. So I'm not... I'm just, I'm not the type of person to back down. And I know that something was wrong and things have to be done and can be done and change is possible. I keep going because eventually it's going to be changed. You have to stand up for what's right, not for what's popular. You have to make sure that the right people are on the same team, making sure that things are being done properly. Um, because, I mean, you can... You can be as abrupt as you want to, but things can still be done wrong. And when I say that, I mean, like, people can still be hurt, and we're trying to prevent that from happening mm -hmm. in the process, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we try to get everything lined up that we need to, dot our I's, cross our T's, get the resources in place so that way we can provide all of the facts because that's what we do and we are in the process of doing that right now in a certain situation and then we're bringing it to a leadership that's needing that information so that way a change can be made a positive change can be made so that way there's safety perfect well believe it or not we ran out of time so anyway but i um before i close really quick um, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, we have a website, faceofsurvivor.org, or you can email me at foasfoundation at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, Face of a Survivor. And then on Facebook, we have Face of a Survivor uh, group page. Okay, so faceofasurvivor.org. Is that what you said? And then FOAS, which stands for Face of a Survivor at gmail.com oh okay at gmail.com okay and then face of a survivor if you look at those for those on, on facebook and instagram you'll be there that's right all right this was awesome thank you so much for making time to talk i love your work keep it up um stir it up make it happen keep and get people healthy that's what we got to do less suicides would be a win no suicides would be a victory <laughs> So anyway, so this is Dave Cook signing off. Um, remember, open your heart, open your ears, open your mind, open your eyes. Because once you start listening, everything changes. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. We hope you've picked up on some useful ideas to help you enhance your conversational skills. Until we listen again, have a beautiful week.